You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, if you're visiting with us, and even if you are not, you may or may not remember, uh, but today is Williamsburg Christian Church's 51st anniversary. So praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that. All right, so we have some things planned today that are, that are different for us, and what we're going to do today, we will do from time to time, month to month. Um, however, one of the things I need to let you know is immediately following the service, uh, we are going to run a little long today because of the timing of things, but the good news is we have lunch on ground right after service. Um, so, and for all of our college students, uh, William and Mary who are with us this morning, you guys stick around and eat lunch with us. We need to get to know you. If you don't want to eat lunch, grab something and leave and run real fast before we catch you. Um, but really, stick around and eat lunch with us. We would, glad for, we would be glad for you too. And all others who are visiting as well, please feel free to do that. If we run out of food, um, John and the praise team have volunteered to give up their lunch for you. Um, so, so, you know, we'll, well, we should be fine um, within that. All right, so 51 years ago, God gave birth to this church. Now, one of the things we learn about the people of Israel is that God was always about making sure that they never lost their memory. And that doesn't mean simply having a good remembrance of just anything, but specifically never losing their memory of who they are. Yahweh wanted to make sure that Israel never forgot that they too were what? Slaves in Egypt too, right? And so always he needed them to make sure they remembered who they were. Because in remembering who we were, we have a better chance of remembering who we are. And what we find out in the biblical narrative is that any time the people of Israel forgot who they were, they inevitably forgot who they are. Our identity is bound up in remembering who we have been so that we can see clearly who we are. It was only when Israel forgot who they were and specifically whose they were, that they started forgetting who they are and how to live and the kind of people they want to be. So for those of you who've been to this church for one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or 49 years, it's very important to me, and I think it's very important to our faith, for us to know the story of our own church family. I've always been a big believer in the story. I've always been a big believer in the narrative of who we are as a people. And I love telling this story. But... To start off with, let me give you an example of why it's important to know who we've been so you can see clearly who we are. So 1964, when this church was began, it was began with a ragtag sort of bunch of people, meaning that they weren't from around here, all these people. And this church quickly grew a reputation of being a bunch of people who were called come-heres, not from-heres. And in the 60s and 70s in Williamsburg, that was almost a class warfare situation from all that I have learned in terms of the narrative of this place. So they were the come-heres, the people who weren't from around here. And then there were the from-heres. The from-heres were the people who belonged. This was their city. This is their place. Well, our church has always been a church filled with come-heres. And let me give you an example. Raise your hand if you're from here. Look around. Look around. Raise your hand. Hi. Now raise your hand if you're a come here. And that has always been the narrative of this church. It's always been the reputation. And it began early in the spring of 1964 when some of the residents and, and the vicinity of Williamsburg 
who were also members of the Lebanon Church of Christ at Lee Hall, met about the possibility of planting a new church here in Williamsburg, Virginia. And it would be a church aligned with something called the Restoration Tradition. Not a denomination, but a fellowship rooted in the idea of making sure that we become Christians only and that we have no other creed but Christ. And present at this meeting were some of the officers of the Lebanon congregation. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to the officers of that church and to the people who felt the call of the Spirit to undertake this work of planting the church. So matters of inquiry began. Matters were presented to the elders and deacons of the Lebanon church. All the possibilities were considered. The financial possibilities weighed. The geography weighed. The leaving of the families and sending of the families out of the Lebanon Church of Christ was weighed. And the work proposed to the eldership of the Lebanon Church of Christ was endorsed and supported as the Spirit seemed fit. And it was sent to the general board of the elders and deacons where they decided to continue to move forward in this work of the Spirit and presented it to the congregation who by sizable majority decided that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit that a church be planted in Williamsburg, Virginia. A restored church, a restored city. And so in 1964, five families holding membership at the Lebanon Church of Christ, only five, five families began holding an evening service in a home, a house church, the home of Mr. and Mrs. Earl Boyd. Charles Gilliam was a graduate of University of Cincinnati and Cincinnati Bible Seminary and decided that he would serve if the five families would see fit as the first minister for this church. But he would go unpaid, working in a bivocational way as he would support his family by the teaching um, in the York County school systems. Christians of Firm Faith in 1964 a small, small number felt so called by the Spirit of God that they were willing to put their own mortgages on the line, their lives on the line. So they leveraged up their houses and they leveraged up their stuff so that they could come up with $42,000 to purchase this property that was on Jamestown Road. Now, $42,000 doesn't sound like a lot of money for many of us. But $42,000 in 1964 is comparable to $322,377.10 in 2015. So how many five or six families, 10 or 20 of us, are willing to believe so deeply in this idea of planting a church that we'd be able to put our houses on the line on a banknote to begin a work of the Lord? Men and women of great faith and great courage. And then here we all sit 51 years later, I think the Lord was up to something, don't you? And this church began to grow and grow and partnered with Virginia Evangelization Fellowship, VEF, a mission that we are a part of and support here. Launched, uh, continued to launch out and continued to grow. The first formal service was October 11th, 1964. That's why we claim this time of year our anniversary. And as they grew with the help of VEF and other peninsula churches and other Christians, they began to raise up money to support, to, to, to hire in, to, uh, to bring on full-time support staff and continue to grow the church. And again, here we are many years later. And as it grew, it took on all of these different identities in terms of its heart, but it always remained the same. It always remained the same. A church committed to making disciples who make disciples. 
and who were content on being what it, what it meant to be Christians and Christ followers, Christians only. And so we've always kind of been this church, and we've always then been this church of come here's. And not just come here's from all over the country, because you've got a guy like Dave Faith, our associate pastor, who's from the Soprano family in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> you've, got, you've got John Sprinkle. Where were you born and raised? Ken, Ohio, one of our shepherds here. Where was Danny born and raised, one of our shepherds, Kathy? Elizabethtown, Kentucky. That explains some things. Uh, we've, got, we've got Ray, who was born and raised in Reading, Pennsylvania, and then came to us from California in jams and a tank top shirt. And that's kind of always been the narrative of our church. But not only that, we're come here from all different faith traditions. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Baptist tradition. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Methodist tradition. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Lutheran tradition. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Presbyterian tradition. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Episcopalian tradition. Raise your hand if you were raised in the Catholic tradition. Raise your, wow, that was a lot more in first service than that one. Raise your hand if you were raised in some other tradition, non-tradition of a tradition of a non-tradition, <laughs> meaning non-denominational. And raise your hand if you were raised in the Restoration tradition, by far the minority of our church, as it, was, as it was in first gathering when we had one person in the whole place who was raised in the Restoration tradition. Yeah, are you, okay, yeah, raised if you were not raised in any, raise your hand if you weren't raised in anything at all. There we go, thank you for that. And so we're all over the place, a lot of us. And we've always been a church of come here. And here we are today, the same church, seeking to make disciples. And it all kind of starts out in this story for us. And today we stand, and 51 years later, in a cloud of witnesses. And when I think about a cloud of witnesses, I think about Hebrews 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I think about the writer of Hebrews, and how the writer of Hebrews starts out with this great statement about faith. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors want approval by it. And then verse 6 later on says, But without faith, now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. Now, we could go on for 30 minutes about what this means. But all I want to highlight is this. In this very same chapter, the writer of Hebrews wants this Hebrew church to know, this church that's undergoing persecution and struggle, that who they are is rooted in a story much larger than their own. And that their story is a story of one of faith. Of one of believing that God exists and reward those who seek Him. And it's a story of persecution and travails. And it's a story of triumph and victory. And for them at that moment when we're receiving this letter, they're experiencing all of that. They're experiencing persecution and trials and travails, but they're experiencing triumph and victory because of the risen Lord. They are a people who have walked away from their own religion and heritage in the eyes of their families to proclaim that Jesus is actually the Messiah, the Messianic King, the King of the Jews and the Lord of the universe. And so what the writer of Hebrews wants to do is make sure that they remember their story. And that their story is one that is associated to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah. That their story is related to all the wondrous works of Moses and the Exodus. And that he wants their story to know that they are, they are a part of the story of Jericho falling down. That they're part of the story of, a, of even a prostitute, Rahab. 
and her faith. And then goes on to say in verse 32, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put armies to flight. This sounds like a story I want to be a part of. And then he turns the corner and he says, Women received their dead and they were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. I don't know if I want to sign up for that. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised because they lived before the Messiah. Since God had provided something better for us because we live as the Messiah. So they would not be made perfect without us. So their story is our story. Our story is their story. And this is a story of risk. And it's a story of faith. And it's a story of courage. And it's a story that doesn't always end well this side of glory. Right? But it always ends well on the other side because we have a resurrected king. A Lord who wouldn't stay dead. And then nothing really bothers me more than the refrigerator magnet you can get at Lifeway that says, you're never any safer than being in the will of God. Tell that to these folks who were sawn into. Being in the will of God is only safe because Christ Jesus is risen. And that's where our faith is. But being in the will of God can be a very risky venture. It may require that we put our houses up for sale or on mortgage or gets to note that we need to take out the plant of church that we feel God's leading us to plant. With only four other families going at this with us. With no promise that we'll make it, but the faith in God that we can see it through. See, what faith requires us to do is keep our eyes focused on Jesus, which is why the writer of Hebrews closes this thought in Hebrews 12 and says, Therefore... Since you're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since we know the stories of the people who've gone before, we as a Christian church, since not only are these stories your story, but you got a story that began in 1964 that has carried on every year since. Look at how the Holy Spirit has borne witness to the risen Christ among you, Williamsburg Christian Church. Look at how He began this work in 64. Look at what He did in 74. Look at what He did in 84. Look at what He did in 94, in 2004, in 2014. That you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Pay attention to what the Spirit has been doing among you because the Spirit's only job, primary job, not only job, primary job, is to work in God's people in such a way that the Holy Spirit bears witness to the risen Christ among them. That's what the Spirit wants to do. He doesn't want to just give me and you love, joy, and peace, and patience so that we have my own feel-good relationship with Jesus. He wants to bear witness in my spirit to your spirit, in our spirit, to the presence of Jesus Christ among us. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Learn from one another's stories of the Spirit's work in their life. Not in just some cheesy testimony kind of way. 
Because those usually have something to do with me and my individual life. No, I'm talking about witnessing, bearing witness to what God has done among us. And so what we've done this morning is I've asked several men and women to share stories of the Spirit's witness among us. These aren't just stories where God came and made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. These aren't aha moments of stories of, of, of private time with God. These are stories that any of us who've been a part of this church even so soon as yesterday, if we've paid attention, we've seen these stories take place, unfold among us in the power of the Spirit. And I can't, that's the best sermon you'll ever hear. So we wanted to make space for that today. So I've asked several people to come and share. And the first one who will bear witness to the Spirit's work among us is Susie Walter. Now in first service, I hit an elder in the face with the microphone. (laughs) That could have been a vocational mistake. So stand farther. Come here. Stand right here. Right here. Let's make sure that... There we go. All right. We're good. I had longed to be a grandmother in the worst way. In my eyes, no one understood how important this was. The day had finally arrived. October 13, 2011, we celebrated Genevieve Marie's birth. October 16, 2011, we celebrated and mourned her extremely short life. I had not experienced the death of someone as close as my own granddaughter. It's like having some sort of attack. You can't breathe. Is this real? Am I really comforting and holding my son because he has just lost his child? All you moms know what I mean when I say, you can mess with me, but don't mess with my kid. This definitely classifies as messing with my kid. I need to fix this, but I cannot. Now I'm kind of like a zombie. Friends and family are... are are our total support system, making sure everyday needs are met. No one really understands or knows what to do or say. For that matter, what am I to do? The joy has been completely sucked out of us. Fast forward a few weeks. Everyone is trying to get back into a normal routine. Not easy, as our hearts are extremely heavy. You may not know this about me, but I love to sing. I got to tell you, though, I wanted to sing but couldn't muster up enough energy it would have taken. So many emotions raced through me. This made Sunday services difficult. Have you ever listened to what you're singing? One song was particularly hard for me to get through. Blessed be your name. Think about those words sometime. How can I completely say that my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name? I just lost my only grandchild. John sang a song that started with, Have you ever lost someone you love long before it was their time? I laid my head on Alvin's chest and sobbed. Penny Smith had come up behind me, held me, and prayed for me and my family. This began a turning point for me. I could feel the love and compassion from so many people. Okay, now move forward another week or so. There are so many things I love about Fred, and how he walked and stayed with us during this time in our lives is a really biggie. Another one being that you can be assured his teachings will never be stale. We had sticky notes in our bulletins and a large cross up front. 
we were encouraged to write down whatever we needed to leave at the cross. Let Jesus take these troubles, big or small, no matter how trivial we think they are. Okay, Susie, don't keep thinking you can handle this on your own. Let Christ take these burdens now completely. Write it down on the sticky note. I kept telling myself, come nail it to the cross. Yeah, right. I'm crying pretty hard at this point. Been doing a lot of that lately. My kids are all sitting around me. Alvin is not at worship this particular day. My children see my struggles, and they also notice that I have written on my sticky note. I felt like a ton of bricks was on me. I didn't feel like I could move. Brad stood up and took my arm at my elbow and told me to come on. Come on, Mom. You can do it. Andrea is on my right side, helping me get these bricks off my legs so that I can move. Danny is really close, holding up Aaron the best he can. We managed to all make it to the cross with our burdens. My family surrounding me. Fred holding the nail. I hammered it in. I cannot begin to give justice to what happened next. This heavy, heavy weight was gone. I mean, really gone. I finally felt like I could smile, laugh even. Oh, and sing too, with joy. Alvin and I have asked ourselves over and over, how do people live through something like this without knowing the love of Christ? As a kid growing up on classic hymns, I didn't give much thought to what I was singing then. But I can tell you as an adult, burdens are lifted at Calvary is no joke. Grammy's precious Genevieve, I love you a bushel and a peck. Praise God to the witness. There's a lot of things that God has done as we've gathered, when we've gathered. We've seen two-thirds of the church in both services come forward for repentance, laying anxiety down to God as we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." We've seen healing services in our gathering where our shepherds sat at the corners with oil and we lined up literally to the door in both gatherings as people are receiving the healing balm of God in Christ Jesus and the power of the Spirit. We've seen God move in those kind of grandiose ways. We've seen families reconcile to one another while we sit at the table together. We've seen lots of things. But that Sunday is a time that stuck in my heart because that was a dear Sunday to all of us. It was a dear moment to all of us because Genevieve is dear to all of us who have been here. And to see that picture of God working in the life of His people, literally at the cross, holding us up as we share in the burdens of one another is a powerful witness of the Spirit. We have other stories of the Spirit bearing witness among us. I'm going to ask Dave Faith, if he will, to uh, share one from his experience here as a part of our family. Good morning. I appreciate this opportunity to, you don't want to get my nose out of joint, right? I got to work with you. (laughs) I appreciate this opportunity to share with you some of my testimony of the Holy Spirit's leading and working in my life, particularly in relation to uh, my relationship with Williamsburg Christian Church. Karen and I moved our family to Williamsburg in May 1992 from Cape May, New Jersey after much prayer and planning over a number of years. I believe God granted us the desire of our heart as we had believed he opened doors to sell our home 
in New Jersey in a short amount of time and provided us an affordable new home here. There were some concerns. I moved here without a job. Paul was happy, but a sick, uh, happy but sickly child, and Karen's mother, who lived with us, experienced a number of health issues that led to her going home with the Lord after a year here. In our search for a church, we were looking for a church like we had in New Jersey, like us, what we enjoyed, felt comfortable with, what was our experience in worship gatherings, the type of worship, etc. In retrospect, this was not how we should have gone about the search. Because of that, even though we visited WCC in 1992, we did not end up joining here until three years later. We felt at that time that we should serve in an independent Baptist planted church in Norge that needed use of our spiritual gifts. They were fine people, but outside of Sunday, we really didn't have any connection as that area was 10 miles from where we lived and Route 199 hadn't been cut through yet. But while visiting WCC in 1992, among many folks, we met Dave and Cindy Heilman. They visited us at our home in Chanco's Grant and answered many questions that we posed to them, both theologically and practically. At some point in our conversation, I shared with Dave that I felt from my teen years that God was calling me into ministry, but I didn't see how that was going to happen in an official manner due to finances, circumstances, and the responsibilities of life. Dave kept in touch with me and offered help, counsel, and encouragement, especially during my job search. He called me to play the piano for Christmas Eve services here. You didn't pay me. <laughs> and weddings here that he was involved with that needed a pianist. They did. He always believed that God had a special plan for me, which included ministry of some kind. Three years later, in 1995, Karen and I decided to revisit WCC and felt God's call to join, uh, for us to join this fellowship. Harry Gambrell was very instrumental in helping us uh, make our transition to WCC. After Karen's mom had passed away and Paul was beginning kindergarten, Karen decided it was time to resume her career in school bus driving, where she had driven uh, in New Jersey for nine years. Karen had no problem being hired, but had to be instructed by a trainer. Karen's trainer was Harry Gambrell, <laughs> who lived in our neighborhood, or maybe we lived in his neighborhood, and served along with his family at WCC. By now, you should be getting the same impression as we did then. God's Spirit was leading us to join and serve at WCC, which we did in August of 1995. Following our joining, God's Spirit moved in our lives continuously here. I was ordained as an elder in 1996 because of, or in spite of, my Baptist experience. In 2000, when the church decided to expand the building and staff, I was affirmed as a paid staff associate with primary duties as a pastor to anyone ill, shut in, and those with aged challenges, and also given the administrative duties for the church, for which I was well trained by Cindy Heilman. It seems hard to believe that 15 years have gone by since I began official ministry on staff. Over the 20 years here, I've been blessed by many of God's Holy Spirit-blessed people. While I hesitate to mention names for fear of leaving out some, I must mention the visionary planners, the Boyds, Browns, and Miles families who I am familiar with. There are many others who I personally have no knowledge of but appreciate their loving service to God. 
Other families came along soon after and supported the work for the restored church and the restored city. The Gambrels, Cajos, Coles, Heaps, Davenports, Stapletons, among others. Many others who have blessed us with their presence and service to the Lord over the years. Thomas, Crow, Chasey, Hitchens, Hitchcock, Cooper, Nelson, Dotson, Young, Frazier, Polaranakis, and Smith, and on and on. And now, all of you who are here today, God has drawn you here to use you to bless us all. God is great. There can be no doubt that he will use us to further his kingdom in whatever way he desires. Praise be to him. Yes. Thanks, brother. Hey, raise your hand if you've been here all 51 years. Look around. Exactly. Um, we have, I think, one uh, family uh, still with us who is connected to one of those planting families, the Browns, Rustin Carolyn Brown. Raise your hand if you've been here more than 40 years. Raise your hand. Hi. If you've been here more than 40 years. Longer than 40 years, okay? Raise your hand if you've been here longer than... Um, 30 years. Raise your hand. Okay, look around. Raise your hand if you've been here longer than 20 years. All right, a little more. Well, no, about the same. Raise your hand if you've been here longer than 10 years. Okay, a little more. Raise your hand if you've been here longer than 5 years. Okay, a little more. Raise your hand if you've been here longer than 3 years. Raise your hand if you've been here longer than 1 year. And that's been the story of our congregation as God continues to grow us and shape us and change us. Uh, I've asked, uh, go a little bit out of order here. Um, I've asked, oh, that's okay. She's bearing witness as we speak. <laughs> I've asked uh, Tammy Kennedy, Tammy, why don't you come on up since you're up here and then we uh, and bear witness to what God has done. You think I'm tall. Oh, my bad. I am not. <laughs> I am also not a public speaker. I am happy to work on the sidelines, but I am so aware of the importance of the sideline positions and working with a great team. When I learned of our helping the Williamsburg area homeless by opening up our building during the cold months, I felt this was an excellent way for us to use what God had blessed us with. The first year of our homeless shelter, I was a quiet participant. No comments. I came and covered my shifts. Be quiet. Uh, I came and covered my shifts and did what was expected, but also watched and had a what else can we do attitude. What can I do to help make this experience better for our new friends? One way we found to help was to organize the food, the dinners and the lunches. Our Life Connections group has since then organized uh, to be certain that our friends are getting a hot, nutritious dinner each night uh, and then lunch to go out the next day. The years following, I have taken the week off from work and now fill in for the overnight shift. Um, usually you have to report in for that shift at midnight, but no, I come much earlier because 
you know, I have new friends. I want to socialize with them. And do I leave on time? No. Gotta stay, make sure they're good and ready for their day uh, out in, you know, um, and that they're packed and got their lunch. So um, because of this and how important it is to me, um, I'm passionate and driven about helping them. I have ideas in my head of how to help um, our new friends. I just wish I had the money to act on them. But for now, I'm thrilled to have made friends with folks like Frank and Doug and Pete and Dave and Vicki and Lana and so many other people. I miss Tommy, who recently passed away, and appreciate all that he did here in our building for us, for God. Along with making many new friends through the shelter, I have met and deepened friendships with the people I worked along beside. Some folks I may never have spoken to during a normal Sunday service. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. For those who uh, may not realize, um, Donna is going to share a story in just a moment. Her story becomes sort of the catalyst story to things like the shelter. Our church has participated in the sheltering program for our friends living through homelessness. But in the last five years, Williamsburg Christian Church has housed and moved from homelessness to self-sustainability 12 different friends and families um, who have almost all of them have come to know Christ as Lord and are part of our family in some way. Uh, and, and so out of that work also became, um, through some other things God's Spirit was doing, uh, came us as a church teaching other churches how to do this work, and that gave birth to something called 3 Restoration Incorporated, which is now a nonprofit that kind of grew out of this work and now equips and encourages and empowers other local churches to do the same thing uh, with men and women and families living through homelessness. Uh, there are six local churches learning how to do that as we speak. We're in Fredericksburg, Virginia with a church there, been invited to go to Dallas and Richmond, Tammy, if you'll uh, just stand for a minute. I know you didn't just stand, just for a quick minute. Is uh, the executive director of nonprofit. Uh, John is director of operations. And so God has gone and grown this whole work. And I want to tell you the story that's a big part of the beginning. And there's no better person to tell this story than a woman who played a significant role in the beginning of this. So come on, Donna, and share your story with us of how the Spirit is born witness through this church and you. Yeah, I got you. Oh, got you. Got you, dude. Now, I will most definitely not hit you in the face with this thing because no. I don't want to deal with you and Cliff after the fact. <laughs> That's right. You better not. <laughs> Good morning. I've titled this Great Things He Has Done. In 2011, God brought Jeff, Robin, their adult daughter, Desiree, and her six-month-old son, Jason. Williamsburg Christian Church began helping this family in many ways. We found shelter for them in a small motel room. The entire family shared this one small room with a tiny refrigerator and a microwave. The day I took groceries to this family, I believe it changed my life. Fred called and asked, what can the Sunshine Ministry do for this family? I prayed for guidance. I knew God would give us the tools we needed to help this family. 
I took groceries to the motel room and visited with them. I held back the tears. As Desiree said to me, baby Jason is almost out of diapers and formula. In this room, there was one bed, one chair, and a small baby carrier. This small room was now their home. As we continued to talk about their struggles, I realized this family is much like my own. They want to be together. They want to work. They want to go out and be with each other. And they loved each other. When I left the room, my mind was unsettled. Lord, what can we do? I immediately sent an email to several of you explaining the family situation. I remember saying to you, if your heart is gripped by the needs of this family, please help. We should never be too busy to respond to God's love, and yes, you responded. Jeff and Robin joined WCC and even renewed their vows here. We eventually lost contact with them, but my prayer is that they are flourishing, witnessing, and have opportunities to help others. I feel that God's spirit works in this church. We are blessed with a wonderful, generous, and caring church family. Because of our relationship with God, we will care for others. God can use all of us to bring healing to broken lives. Psalms 34, 17, and 18. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. To God be the glory great things he has done. I really wanted to sing that. <laughs> Thank you. I've asked Robin Lobster to come. Those who don't know, Robin is uh, part of our family ministry here. She's married to our family minister, Garrett. And so we'll let her share how she has witnessed God's spirit work among us. Garrett and I began our journey here in the fall of 2003 with meetings and interviews. Olivia was a toddler and Eden was an infant. That December in 2003, I also lost my mom to a heart attack. She was only 48. Although we were praying that Williamsburg would be our next home, I desperately felt the need to stay near the mother figures at our current church in Chesapeake. As soon as WCC heard of my mom's passing, we had cards. I specifically remember one from Kathy and Danny Poe. We had cards and prayers surrounding us. The Holy Spirit began opening my heart to this newness that awaited us in Williamsburg. Our time here has been amazing. We added a son to the mix and many new friends and family. Ministry is often a very lonely place to be. Thankfully, my sister and her husband, my uncle, and many friends and their spouses were walking a similar path. 
we had each other and leaned on each other often. I have always felt like I was not the typical minister's wife. Thankfully, I was the youth minister's wife. <laughs> that position often left me um, slip behind the scenes where I felt the most comfortable. The Lord gave me a precious gift of working with, teaching, and loving children. I'm thankful for the children that I have been in class with and for the ones I get to live life with on a daily basis, Olivia, Eden, and Grayson. My hardest job next to being a minister's wife is being a mom. This job I prayed for all my life and finally came true. We have been blessed with three amazing children and my life would be dull without them. With our family of five now complete, I began to get lazy in my faith. I was still hurt and confused over my mother's passing. Just being around others who had their moms helped and hurt both at the same time. When I prayed, I asked for strength and comfort. I felt weak and wondered if anyone ever saw it. No matter um, the week we had before or even the hour we were headed out for church, often in chaos, as soon as I entered this parking lot, I often just felt a peace come over me. Some Sundays it was the teaching that I longed for, others the worship I enjoyed, or it could have just been the laugh and the hug from some of my favorite people. And then came 2011. On a normal Sunday, Garrett and I often drive separate cars to church. Grayson was about to turn five, so my mother-in-law, Wendy, was visiting. <clears throat> the kids and Granny decided to have a skip day from church and from the weather. So after second service, Garrett and I ventured home. We were on 64, almost to our exit, and then a few cars ahead of me, I saw a car flip a few times, and while making extremely loud noises, it stopped against a tree. The two lanes of the interstate parted like the Red Sea, and everyone got out of their vehicles in the pouring rain. I walked towards the car, and until I saw my kid's booster seat in a bag of things I had put in his car the night before, I had no idea it was Garrett. The music was so loud, clearly the second sign that it was him. I ran to his car, and the crazy began. He was laying across the street, holding himself up with one arm, and he couldn't move. I spoke with him. I kissed him. I told him that he was okay, and I said, you're going to be okay, probably about a hundred times. Strangers jumped in and helped and talked and did things while I was kind of standing there in a fog. They called 911, and soon, really it felt like forever, the ambulance came to take him. They said to meet him at the Williamsburg Hospital. So I jumped in my van, and while I was driving, I called Fred. I told him about the accident, and he said he would be there. I tried to call Garrett's mom, but her phone doesn't work in our house. I called Courtney, and she went to be with the kids so Wendy could come to me. I called my dad and told him what had happened. I don't actually remember the exact words that I said to those three people, but the calm in their voices gave me the peace I needed. When I arrived at the hospital, the elders, the deacons, Fred, Dave, Hoyt, and Janet, they were all there. More peace and lots of prayers. We waited a long period of time, too long. We finally found out that due to the severity of Garrett's injury, that he had gone to Richmond to MCV. Janet and Hoyt drove Wendy and I to the hospital. The uncertainty was killing us. When we arrived, my family greeted us at the door. The waiting room had quickly filled with two entirety with the Williamsburg Christian Church friends and family. I comforted others in a time that I should have been receiving comfort. As soon as we knew Garrett's injury and that he would be in a wheelchair now, our life needed to adapt to his new life and we had a new normal to get used to. 
the people around us took care of us and they took over. We got what we needed. We had a ramp built at our home just after a few days. We had gift cards to take care of gas and food. We had money given and donated for an addition to be built onto our home. The men and women worked tirelessly on our home, inside and out. You made our home accessible. From the minute the accident occurred, the Lord had already taken over. The Holy Spirit comforted me in ways I never knew I would need it. Immediately, our kids were cared for, our needs were met, and we didn't need to worry about anything. Just heal from the outside in. God led us here. I know I would not have made it through the two most difficult times in my life without the Lord. The overwhelming feeling that you get when the Holy Spirit talks for you, makes decisions for you, physically carries you when you have nothing left, it's amazing. I hurt for those who don't have that. I pray that their encounter begins soon. I just don't know how someone could live without the Lord by their side. There's a lot to a lot of these stories that we were able to bear witness to the Spirit's work. Uh, One of the things that you may not know that is providence of God is that weekend, uh, my brother-in-law, Allison's stepsister, and family was visiting with us. Um, and they happened to be behind Garrett when that accident took place. Well, our brother-in-law is a captain at the time, lieutenant colonel in the army, and had seen lots of war and battle and knew just what to do. And thanks be to God, he was there and kept people from moving Garrett or trying to move the car, which could have proven to be a very poor decision. And so God in his wisdom and in his grace was working in a way that is still hard to fathom. Uh, And seeing God work through those two had been amazing. And I said it for service, and it bears saying publicly again, Robin and Garrett are two spiritual heroes to me in the way they live in their faith and their marriage and their love for kids and their own children as well. Uh, I've asked uh, Robin Grisham, one of the things that I wanted to see today and wanted us to see is how the Spirit bears witness among us, not in just the grandiose and in the tragic, um, but also in the, in the everyday, that that is equally as beautiful and equally as formative. And so, Robin, why don't you come, if you will. I have sat in the front row for three years and had the Spirit speak to me in a way that I never heard before. He has led me to WCC to find other ways to serve God outside my box. His spirit has also taught me that there are other ways that I can, that there are others that can relate to my issues. One being having anxiety issues. After talking with my Life Connection group and getting advice from someone who had experienced the same issue, I came to realize that I wasn't alone in my struggle. The Spirit moved me to come out of my box and led me to get help and recognize this issue and act on it with the trust in God, knowing he knows all things and to put it in his hands. And the biggest thing was to trust him. That's what the Spirit said to me, as well as go for it. Let God lead you to be relieved. 
Thank you, Robin. One of the things that happened one Sunday is I had preached and confessed my anxiety issues before you as a church when we were coming out of Romans chapter 6. And for whatever reason, the Spirit was at work in a mighty way that Sunday. And two-thirds of the congregation, I I just invited us all to come and and lay down our anxiety at the feet of Christ. And two-thirds of the church, for those who raise your hand if you remember where we all kind of came forward and stood at the front singing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And that was a time that was very formative, I think, what the Spirit did even for Robin that day. Um, Stephanie, are you able to come and share your story? Oh, she's smiling now. You like the stage, don't you? Um, I started coming to the church six years ago. I like to call it (laughs) pre-Fred. And when I started coming, the women of the church went to Women of Faith every year and sat in a stadium with thousands of other women, and that was our retreat. Well, some of the ladies asked me if I would like to help them plan a more intimate retreat. And so I have experience feeding lots of people. I was like, sure. And I decided to do the food. The first year, it went fantastic. And so the second year, we got there. And I kept feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit to give my testimony. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And so I decided to do it. It's the first time I've ever gave my testimony. And it'll probably be the only time I ever give my testimony. But I got up there, and I started telling my crazy story, and I just left it, let it all go, let it all out. And as I'm giving my story and looking out at the women at retreat, I see tears, and I see love, and I see compassion, and I see acceptance. And that day, I was able, through their love, to see... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. To see how God sees me through all the women in this church's love, I was finally able to let it go. I let the guilt go. I let the shame go. I let my crazy story defining me go. And I was completely and forever changed by the love of this church that day. Praise the Lord. You got it. And it is only a fitting that she would bring one of her 203 children up here (laughs) to share that story. (laughs) All right. We have uh, a couple more that I want to share. I asked uh, Brad Anderson, if you will, to come up and share as well, brother. Um, And then after a couple more, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist together. And then we've got an exciting, an exciting announcement to share with you as a body. Good morning. You hear people sometimes say that they come to church to get fed, spiritually fed, to be lifted up and encouraged. And in fact, that's what I used to feel the Sunday gathering was about, being lifted up, reminded of who I am as a child of God and fortified with a good word or two to go out and face another week out in the world. My wife Allison and I didn't have to come here too many times before we realized that there was something more going on here on Sundays. 
to put it in language that might sound familiar, uh, this gathering ain't all about me. <laughs> My preferences uh, for sermon style, music style, building style, room temperature, brand of coffee, just aren't very important here. <laughs> what is important and what was apparent from day one here at Williamsburg Christian Church is that other people are important. This church body distinctively is other people focused. Sunday messages are about putting boots on the ground and skin on the gospel. And I know I'm not alone when I say I've left Sundays many times feeling a lot more challenged than uplifted. And that's okay, because that inspires action. If it were just a Sunday sermon from a preacher, it wouldn't have the same impact. What started becoming clear as we met more people and heard more stories was that this body of believers actually lives this way. An early story that sticks out to me was Mark and Lindsay Allen. Uh, when they moved, they were looking to buy a house in Louisiana. And they came up here and they said, the most important factor to them in the house that they chose was what neighborhood did they feel God was calling them to serve in? And that blew my mind. Maybe it's because I'm a real estate agent and I know how different that is from how most people choose the house they want to live in. Uh, I mean, nobody really does that. So my thinking was already shifting, contemplating questions like, who is God calling me to love? And who might God be calling to love me? And I watched this congregation live into that, and I listened to your stories, and ultimately joined a Life Connection group. It was in a Life Connections group meeting earlier this year that I mentioned um, the fact that there were three recent widows in my neighborhood all within a three-week period of time earlier this year. As a group, we decided that we would serve these people uh, on our uh, mission once by delivering geraniums and cards. It was early spring. And another time by inviting them to my home for a neighborhood gathering. In the days and weeks that followed those events, it seemed like I ran into those neighbors uh, more often than usual. And I always stopped and always uh, spoke with them and shared an encouraging word. And just like that, I knew that I was actually doing something for God's kingdom and being the light of Christ in the world, in my neighborhood. You know, my radar is up now in my work relationships, in the neighborhood, with my other friends. I'm more aware that there are opportunities to serve all around. And as for being fed, while it gives me great confidence as your fill-in worship leader to know you don't care about the music. <laughs> um, what I find is that when my focus is shifted from myself towards others, any sense of lack quickly melts away. Our Sunday gathering does remind us who we are in Christ. It does lift us up. And it also reminds us, not just through the sermon and the music, but through the stories that are told and the relationships that we develop, that we are a people called to serve others. I'm thankful to have found this group of believers. I'm thankful for our shared values. I'm grateful for how my family 
has been welcomed into this family and given opportunities to serve, both in children's ministry and in worship. And I'm excited to continue my discipleship journey with you all moving forward. God bless. You know, I'd asked Mickey Harden to share, and as I've been praying this through and thinking this through, if I have, you got to get to know Mickey and Tammy. They are just incredible. Um, Mickey kept telling me, if you need me, I'll be there. If you need me, I'll be there. Mickey, since you lead our celebration recovery ministry, why don't we hold you off for a couple of weeks? Because we need to talk about, as a congregation, celebrate recovery. And um, we, don't, we won't do it next weekend because of the retreat, but we're going to do it the weekend after. We need to talk that through, and I think that'll be an appropriate time for you to tell your story. Is that all right with you, brother? Well, last I've got Megan. Megan, why don't you come up here? Megan is a new part of our family, and so I'll let her introduce herself, which is why some of you may recognize her from a couple of weeks, but Megan, why don't you go ahead? You got to stand near the mic here. Hi. <laughs> um, I have what I'm going to say on my phone. I'm not playing a game. Don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I'm Megan, and I'm a sophomore at William & Mary. Um, and you may have noticed a bunch of Asians sitting in a row for the past few months. I think we're more than a row now, but yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> um, I wanted to thank you all for your overwhelming sense of hospitality and your desire to mirror the love of Jesus through your welcoming spirit. And after the very first service I attended, I was greeted with a hug by someone I had just met. And for the first second, I thought, what's happening? But then I thought, yeah, this is pretty nice. Um, the hospitality of the body of Williamsburg Christian was not the only reason this church has been put on my heart after the first time I went. A few days before attending, I'd begun to see how powerful prayer is and the importance of it in keeping up with the strides of Jesus. And even though I'd grown up in church my whole life, I'd come to realize that I didn't know how to pray. And so I asked him, Lord, teach me how to pray. So that week at WCC, there's no conventional sermon but a prayer meeting. And not only was it a prayer meeting, it was a corporate prayer meeting, something I had not been part of in a church setting. I stopped believing in coincidences a long time ago after tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord, and this was one of those times. I know that God brought me to Williamsburg Christian on that Sunday in response to the prayer asking for instruction. I was surprised by the vulnerability with, with which you all prayed aloud, bringing your praise and pleas before God as one body. Through hearing each of you pray, I knew then that prayer was less a monologue with God and more a dialogue. I was shown how to practically enter into the presence of Jesus. Prayer is an intensely intimate thing, and to witness Williamsburg Christian pray together as a church family made it clear that prayer unifies and strengthens relationships horizontally with each other and vertically with God. So thank you for making space to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying and continually being bold in pursuing it. I'm immensely grateful that you all have invited me and the rest of the William Mary students into your family. I'm honored to walk alongside you for the glory of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. First off, thank you for all uh, who participated. Um, and in a couple of weeks, we have, we're going to continue to do this sort of thing. I think we're going to make room in our gathering for these stories of the Spirit to be shared and how He's bear witness, bearing witness among us. Um, so be prayerful and be attentive to these stories that God is unraveling right in our presence. Well, one of those stories, it's five years ago, our church was $340,000 in debt. And we went on and launched out through the, through the leading of the Spirit, this debt pay down campaign to pay it completely off. And so 
about two years ago or so, we surrendered to the Lord as a body, and we were growing too big for our building and our classrooms, but we surrendered to the Spirit, and we paid off that debt by the grace of God. Um, we're a debt-free congregation and have been now for um, about a year and a half-ish or so. Well, as we were looking to do this, we thought, well, the Lord is, maybe he's, he's freeing up the debt so we can do more mission. We knew that we needed to be more faithful to the work of God. Well, part of being faithful may be um, to, to spread ourselves out, to, to do something to accommodate growth, but not get tied up in debt for buildings because we don't ever want to be in debt again. So whatever we do, we'll build. Um, cash in, cash out, not debt. We will be faithful to the Lord. And so we started pursuing this idea of moving. Well, we prayed that out and we talked about looking at what it would cost to expand and that was too expensive. We presented that to the body. We all discerned from the spirit that was too expensive. So we looked at maybe moving and becoming kind of a teardown, set up kind of church family at a, local, at a, at a gymnasium that we were going to have for an extremely uh, inexpensive way. Now that we're debt free, we had the bandwidth to do that and be more faithful in other things. Well, as we discerned that as a body together, at first we thought it was right and then when we learned from the Spirit, of course, correction is leadership. And we had to stand before you and say, we don't think that's right. And you all said, we, didn't, we don't need any more either. And, and it was one of those things that we thought we need to stay put. But maybe then we would expand the building at some point and figure out what to do, raise cash, capital campaign, whatever the case may be. And so that's what we were setting out to prayerfully discern. Well, my friend Francis, who is a Kenyan, um, he leads uh, the Christian Relief Fund work in Kenya, Eldoret, Kenya, and they drill wells and, and clean water and medical facilities, plant churches, orphanages, uh, all types of things, plant schools there. And CRF does this in 39 countries. But in Eldoret, Kenya, the child that Allison and Ian and I have sponsored lives and is overseen and loved by Francis. Francis decided he wanted to visit our family when he came through. As Francis and I were talking, he told me, I said, how's the work going? He said, it's going well. We just got 200 orphans, though, that are homeless and some of them are dying, and some bad things are happening, and I need to figure out what to do about that. I said, what are you going to do about that? He said, well, I've got plans. We're looking to build an orphanage at that point. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's pray some. Let's pray. Let's just pray. And I said, I want you to meet with the staff. He met with the staff. The staff was taken back. I said, well, let's present it to the shepherds. The shepherds were taken back. And so as we always do, church, anytime the leadership of the church feels God is calling this church to something big, we fast and we pray as a leadership. So we spend a season of fasting and we discern the Spirit, and we pray, and then we bring it to you for the same thing. Remember, we call the church to fasting. We call the church to prayer. And then we come back after a season, and we see what is the Spirit up to? What is He doing? Well, we did that, and we decided in November of last year we would build this orphanage. Because 50 of us in our body sponsor kids all throughout CRF and in other places, and we knew that these 200 children needed a home. For crying out loud, we work with homeless people. Can't we... Can we walk this through as well in, in Eldoret, Kenya? We can do both and. That's what we can do. Well, we launched out on this $105,000 debt, uh, $105,000 capital campaign. That's why you see the pillows. And the pillows represent $525, which is, represents a child. And for every pillow we present to the Lord, that's one child that will have a place to sleep. At the end of the campaign, we'll present these 200 pillows, because we'll need 200 of them. We don't have 200 yet, to those um, living locally who need a place to sleep and we'll give that to them and help them find a home as well. But we set out and our goal was to be done by November, which is International Orphan Sunday in November. And our goal was to be done. Well, by the grace of God, every single dollar is in and that orphanage is getting built. 
And so by the grace of God, every dollar has come in. And so now we have Lord only knows how many pillows to finally finish out the 200. And so we're going to bring the children up front to present the final bunch of pillows. And all the children are coming up. Yes, you can clap. John, um, at some point we'll have to get rid of these pillows, which will radically change the acoustics in the building for the praise team. Hey there, you're doing a great job. He's happy. We're happy too. Drop it right there, right here. Thank you, buddy. Come there with Susan. Come here, Andrew. Thanks, bud. Yep, just throw them down because there's no way of organizing all this. Okay, don't throw them at me. Throw them down. No, 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 no. No, no throwing, no throwing. Now at no, no pillow fights. Ah. All right. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Oh. Oh. All right. Thanks, bud. And we have a video. If you'll turn your attention to the screen. Francis rounded up. Um, those are some of the children, not all obviously, who will sleep in this place now. And so you just saw the faces of some kids whose lives are going to change. The orphanage will be grand open December 28th. And so we will look forward to seeing that happen.